Greetings. Welcome to a Simmer and Forsland podcast. Rob Simpson here, John Forsland there. Hello, John. Hello, Simmer. Pretty exciting on Saturday night as the Seattle Kraken defeat wow. the Vancouver Canucks 4-3. to three. That was great. That was uh, a needed win, and they did it in, in gutsy fashion, which is uh, prototypical of their game. So hopefully that continues. All right, we'll get more into that in just a second. I'm starting the timer right now. Today we're going to talk about our favorite, not necessarily our favorite, but we're going to talk about 29s. And okay. I will allow you to go first because I kind of have oh. a funny thing about the number 29s right now today. Go ahead. Mine is Ken Dryden, great uh, Montreal Canadiens goalie. Uh, walked off the college campus and turned it into a stellar career, a Stanley Cup winner. Short career, though, he decided to walk away from the game, which is kind of like his personality. And then he went on to be a, a politician, an author, and a uh, great guy, great guy. So I, um, that's mine, Ken Dryden. Very good. Of course, wrote The Game, which is one of the yep. great ho hockey books of all time. And yeah. Uh, on one of my programs, I believe it was a Maple Leaf America, because he was president of the Leafs at one point. Um, I got him to do the shtick with me at the end of the show where he pretend, pretend to lean on the stick. That yeah, was beautiful. Yeah. He was reluctant, but he eventually... And his first his first mask was iconic. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure it gave him a lot of protection, but it's the, interesting. The colors, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sticking with that theme uh, for my 29. First, jokingly, I was going to go Randy Latticer which would have been a Detroit Red Wing and a Hartford Whaler. That's right. But uh, I'm going with Mike Palmatier. Kind of, I know I've met Kenny, never met Palmatier, uh, but I'm going with him just because I was talking about, I was at the Hall of Fame festivities this past week in Toronto and talked about in the old days, growing up on the border in the U.S., we got Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays and we got Leafs Hockey on Wednesdays. So I grew up watching Roger Nielsen's Toronto Maple Leafs uh, with, Andre Saint Laurent and Errol Thompson, Daryl Sittler, Boris yeah. and of course Mike Palmatier. And someone else told me that reminded me of the story about when Harold Ballard fired Nielsen and then rehired him and wanted him to come out on the bench wearing a bag over his, wearing a bag over his head. As a those big, were the days, man. Those big, were the days. As a big reveal. And the obligatory uh, shot once per game on Hockey Night of Canada of uh, Ballard and King Clancy in the little booth there, right? Maple yeah. Leaf Gardens and Hockey Night in Canada. So yeah. that had to happen by contract. The cement box in the corner. Yeah. All right. There you go. Number 29. It's beauty. Um, all right. Back to this uh, Vancouver win. Just how big? I mean, well, Dave Haxtell doesn't like to talk about benchmark games and milestone games, but come on. Let's yeah. This is that's a big one. That's a big win. It's huge. I think when you look at the stops and starts of this season, that's been the problem, right? They, they've had uh, pockets of time where things have been really good within games and they've let games slip away. There have been games where they've won and then you're looking for the follow up and the follow up wasn't there, especially when they come back at home. So this was a game to validate three out of four points in that tough back-to-back -back situation. You know, they come off a, a stinging loss in Edmonton, a game they probably should have won. They get a point, they lose in overtime, and then they come home and here's the old shootout again, right? And everybody's ready to bury the Kraken because they can't win in a shootout. They they managed to gut that one out, and I think that propelled them into this game in Vancouver against a very good team that's off to a, a terrific start from the goal out. 
And I like how they played, Simmer. I think that's the key. It's not necessarily the result. It's how they played. They played to their identity. They've been chasing their identity a little bit, to be fair. Uh, but it was all there. It was gritty. It was good. They were great plays. There were, there were, you know, plays where you needed a lot of guts to go to the front of the net to make it happen. That happened. There was an outstanding penalty kill in the third period, which was their best of the season, maybe their best ever, that one two-minute sequence. So, um, you know, lot lot to the good, and now they just have to continue to follow that up with uh, with each game as they move forward. Yeah, played to their identity and stayed disciplined. The, the noticeable thing was they stayed out of the freaking box, especially. You have to against period. that team. Yeah. Um, I'm just taking a peek over because I'm here in the hockey cab and I'm seeing a lot of smoke coming outside here. I'm just making sure I haven't lit the living room on fire, but we're okay. Thanks. Um, Be careful. Yeah. The uh, the other things that kind of leap out about this, um, you know, we hear about the Vancouver is kind of using the schedule as an excuse over fatigue five games a day. This is one of the two busiest months on the schedule for the Kraken as well. So that part of it. Uh, and statistically, talking about what you brought up there, twice. They've had an opportunity to get to 500, and both times they lost. So here they right. are, Calgary on Monday, chance to get to 500. This will be their third chance, of course, because they started the season 0-2, 0-3-1, one, and have never been right. to 500. So right. they get another opportunity. Well, make good in the division, take take advantage of those quote unquote four pointers, and uh, and pay back Calgary too because it was Calgary that turned their season around kind of uh, a few weeks ago when they came in here on a six game skid, won the game six three. Mangiapane with the cross check on uh, Jared McCann. You know, there's a lot going into this game on Monday night. So, uh, but most importantly, you know, keep a team below you down, keep that uh, differential in terms of the points and the standings where it needs to be. And make good on great efforts. If you have a great effort, it's only as good as the next one. Uh, you can't keep continuing uh, continuing uh, with your process of taking steps in, in reverse. I think that's the thing that's been hurting the team so far. Uh, Matty Veneers, we've talked about the sophomore slump before. Uh, we're almost a quarter way of the season, but who cares when it happens? It looks like, and we've seen him back-to-back uh, -back games with a goal, uh, three goals in six games. You can see the difference. No. Yeah, because I don't think he's making defensive mistakes like he has been. You know, he's a little bit lost at times this year defensively, and that's something we didn't see in his rookie year. If he went through point droughts, he always seemed to make the right play at the right time defensively to help the team. He was putting a team in some some tough spots based on, you know, lack of assignments or I'm not going to say he was cheating the game at all, but it looked like he was pressing offensively. And I and I think, um, you know, now that seems to be uh, getting back to where it needs to be. He's playing with more confidence. Uh, as is the team, right? And I think that's um, that's a big part of it. And Jordan Eberle had a three-point game in Vancouver. And if he can come back from what he's just been through and, you know, pick up the offensive side of the game in concert with Beneers, that's going to be a terrific thing. So hopefully that continues too. It didn't take long for him to bounce back from the skate blade cut to his leg at practice on the Wednesday. I mean, pretty quick yeah. recovery. Um, right. And that could have been really serious. It was very close to being a, a you know, a situation where it would have put a season, you know, in question maybe, and who knows what else. Um, but thank God that didn't happen. And uh, I'm not surprised he came back as fast as he did, but he's also come back to pick it up a little bit too and, and add to the offense because that's, uh, that's been lacking in his game and others, but he's a big part of it. Uh, I'm going to talk about the skate blade thing a little bit later here as well. Um, 
by the way, since you just brought that up, we'll, we'll keep it right here. 39 last year, 303 even strength goals led the National Hockey League, the Kraken. This year, mm -hmm. 39 to 30. Uh, they have 30, they've given up 39 at even strength. So the scoring part right. at even strength, their bread and butter without a superstar team um, needs to get going. Fortunately for them, their power play is seventh ranked in the league. So it's almost like a little, they're a little off kilter in a way, in a good way. I just think it's, you know, the rolling of lines and, and one line goes out and has a good shift. And then the next line goes out and it's just average. Next line goes out, it's a little bit better or worse. And that seems to be at five on five, what's ailing the team, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, the last few games this past week, what we've been able to see is more consistency. You know, even the Edmonton game, what gets lost is the result and the comeback by the Oilers. But the lion's share of the game belonged to the Kraken. Yeah. And Edmonton was lucky to get away with that game and uh, feel good about it. And the Kraken felt miserable about that game. But, you know, they came home and the Islanders scored first. It wasn't ideal the way that game started. But then in that first period, they started to build a game, as the coaches like to say. And shift by shift, it got better and better. And then they took it to Vancouver, you know. And so a whole, I, I think it's going to carry over. I, I really do, because that's their DNA. And it's 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 relentless each shift. And it doesn't mean you have to have a great scoring chance. It just means you have to play solid. You're going to move the puck faster than they have been to get it up the ice. You got to get back in defensive position better than they have been. Um, there were little pockets in the first period in Vancouver where the Canucks had some room through the middle in the first period. And it looked like, well, you can't give these guys room. Don't do it. They fixed it. You know, they fixed it. And uh, we'll see where it goes this week. I noted the uh, the lines uh, in terms of statistically 12 games is the most. And that would be the Yanni Gord, Tolvin, and Bjorkstrand line. They've been together the most for a total of 12 games. Nine for Maddie Veneers since they put Everly back on his wing. So obviously that's just a sign that Dave Haxtell, the head coach, has had to really move things around to try to get this damn thing going. But it sounds like, seems like they're starting to find these combinations. The hardest thing for a coach at this level is to stick with something that's not working because you believe that it will. And, and a good coach will do that. It's easy sometimes to put it in a blender and just shake everything up all at once. And then you might get the same result. Maybe not. Maybe you'll get a little cheap speed out of it. But I think the real good coaches, and, and he's one of those, I mean, he he's going to believe in, in his combinations. He's going to give them time to get through whatever they're trying to get through. And it was collective there for a while. And I think that's what was ailing the Kraken early in the season, Simmer, is the fact that it was collective. It seemed like everybody was going through it at the same time. Uh, this isn't a complete dig out yet. They have a lot to prove. Um, and a lot of it will be proven on this three-game homestand. There's no question. Yeah, take advantage of the home cooking, something they haven't done. By the way, since you're on the topic of throwing it in the blender, injuries precipitated Shane Wright and Ryan Winterton coming up from the American Hockey League. I'm, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks on here. What did we think uh, if you were to grade out the two of them for that brief period of time? In Wright's case, he's a better player, which is good. You can see the difference. It's 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 marked improvement. You can really see the difference in where he was, where he is, where he's going. With Winterton, it's like an awakening. It's like a, here's here's a player who you're getting your first look at, 
He has a lot of hope and potential attached to that name. And if you can hit it, one, two, three in the first draft with Beneers, Riker, Evans, and Winterton, that's not too bad. And I know the Kraken believe there's more from the first draft that we will see at some point. Um, but it's all good. They came up at a real difficult time, too. Yeah. It felt bad that these players were kind of caught in the, the misery of what was going on at the time. And uh, they were here for one of the hardest practices uh, Haxtell's had in his tenure as the Kraken coach uh, a week ago. It was uh, it was uh, one that needed to happen, and 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 hopefully that was a message sender. But it helped their conditioning, put them back in the American Hockey League, and uh, will they continue to develop? But I think it's it's good because it didn't look like they were out of place at all. And in Shane Wright's case, you know, playing the middle of the ice in the NHL level, as you know, is real hard really hard and uh, for him he's going to have to be a top end forward he's not going to come up in a you know in a support role um when he does play here he's going to be asked to contribute and contribute a lot that's that's the ceiling for him and that's what he's working on Brian Winterton is impressive because uh, like Wright they both missed a year of development in the OHL because of COVID right. season canceled and he had multiple shoulder injuries and had surgeries and all this and came back and was incredible at the development camp in the summer. He won the, uh, or didn't win, but he was one of the top fitness guys and everybody was impressed. So he would be a pretty remarkable story uh, to, to put it together. So a cool opportunity for, for Ryan Winterton. Um, goaltending. Okay. We talked a little bit about special teams. We're going to kind of go through the, the basics here and, and the two most obvious people on the ice whenever they're playing is Philip Grubauer and Joey Decord ranked. And I'm just throwing the numbers out. I believe 30th, that would be Decord and 38th in terms of goals against average in the national hockey league. And of course there's only 32 teams, Josh. So <laughs> uh, that's not great. And their, their save percentage is in the high 89 ish area, which coincides with their goals against. I mean, Yay, nay. I, does it feel like Gruby's coming around? Yeah, for some reason, you throw all those numbers out and it, it doesn't sound very good, obviously. But this is a little bit different for me. I, I don't see it as a problem. I don't see the goaltending as a situation here with put the crack in where they're at right now, aching to get back to 500, looking up at a few teams in the division, kind of an indifferent start at the beginning, better, you know, recently, um, but still looking to hit their stride. I, I don't know. I, I think um, that would be an unfair uh, accusatory finger to point at goaltending at this, at this stage. I think both guys have played well. Both guys have done their jobs. They've been in every game. Um, it hasn't been a situation where you're you're flipping goalies because one guy just isn't doing it. Uh, maybe Decord has been a little sharper um, in his full body of work than Grubauer, but Joey was also given an opportunity to run when he was when he was hot. And I think now is the time for Grubauer. Grubauer kind of took a step out. Same thing happened last year. Yep. Uh, it seems like it's the front end of the season where they have to get him adjusted a little bit mentally. And um, I liked his game in Vancouver, and I expect him to go against Calgary, and we'll see where where falls you know the rest of the week. It's uh, it's interesting because I think the schedule has been hard, and there's been a lot of games, obviously, but there is some light here. 
if they they have the three home games, so it's going to be good for the team to be at home. And then there's a break before they have to play Chicago a week from Tuesday. They'll finally get a pocket of time. So my point is they don't necessarily have to play both goalies um, this week, but they probably will. So I would I would think it's a Grubauer Decord Grubauer situation, and we'll just see where where it falls. Well, Gruby was out to lunch at training camp, so maybe that's factors into how he's been off to weird slow, slow starts because yes martin jones last year did take over for a while part of it was the injury to group i was injury but jones mm -hmm. he kept going right he kept right. going he right. carried this team and right was, and, and yeah and as as an observer philip grubauer and not getting too deep into this with him or the goalie coach or anything like that just watching this it appears that he's at his best when he's challenged yeah, and a, and a good goalie like Decord, a good young goalie who plays differently, right? So because of his puck handling ability, the team has a different approach when Decord's in goal than when Grubauer's there. But that's okay because there's the other side that's game planning against this and trying to figure out, you know, which goalies are going to be because they're vastly different. But when you have a good young goalie pushing Philip Grubauer, he needs that. I think he really needs that. So... I'm not overly concerned with the uh, sub 900 save percentage. You want it north of 90, there's no question. I don't get involved in quality starts and expected goals against and a lot of that stuff. I just watch the game and see who's stopping the puck. That's about it. <laughs> yes, I would be an eyeball that's as it. well, as opposed to yeah. a mathematician. Yeah, that's it. But you can see now why Dave Haxtell does not like to reveal his goalie after the morning skate, even though it's sometimes obvious. And, and that's his prerogative, too. You know, I know everybody gets up in arms. But until we get a mandate from the league, probably because of uh, wagering, um, you know, then the coaches don't have to do that. I, I think, you know, if I were he, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, yeah, we, I don't know, come tonight and find out who's in goal. There's, listen, the other side is, that's the other thing, too. The other side's so well prepared, they're ready. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter. They have all the video. They have the scouting reports. They they tell the teams where to shoot on certain guys, where the tendencies are. So um, I think it's a lot about nothing. Right. Well, I wrote it about a couple of weeks ago. So I just flat out asked Hack. I said, why do you do it? Is there a reason mm -hmm. to do it? And, you know, mm -hmm. a number of reasons. I, I asked Torts that same question 10 years ago. I got a much different answer. <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> but Hack basically said, yeah, I don't, I don't see any real reason to throw it out there. You know, let him figure it out later on as the day wears on. Um, all right. We, we, you brought up the neck guard or not the neck guard. You brought up the, the we brought up the cut to uh, Everly. And of course we have the Adam Johnson thing in Nottingham, the death of uh, the former Pittsburgh Penguin, the throw cut. I, I didn't have, I was just buzzing around, running around doing the thing. Didn't really get a chance to look at it a whole lot, but it's not a hockey play. It's clearly no. not a normal hockey play. And this oh. Matt Petgrave guy has been arrested on manslaughter. Some say it's just a formality as they investigate the whole thing. But right. I'm telling you, I look at it and I don't like it. And I'm not going to get too go too far down this road right now, but that was not a hockey play. And that is not the typical reaction of a player making contact the way, not even close to the body reaction that yeah. one has in that right. situation it's right. weird it's just weird yeah when it first happened obviously you're you're uh taken back by the whole situation that's tragic 
And then a couple people texted me and said, have you seen this? And I didn't want to look at it, right? But I did. I looked at it once. I didn't yeah. roll it back and look at it. I just looked at it once and I was like, ooh. Hey, you don't these were These were hockey people. These were you hockey people. You, right. didn't need to roll, you didn't need to roll it back. Once right. it's enough. Because it's, right. ab it's abnormal. Right. And so that's the whole thing. So we'll see where all of this goes. Um, and again, it's going to make the players in this league and elsewhere, you know, look at more protection and, and look at the situations where, you know, should they all be wearing neck guards? I don't know. Um, again, that's a, that's a, a player specific thing. Um, so I think at some point they'll get there. There's enough young players that are wearing them on the way up. Uh, so I think they're used to it. Some guys just feel like it's a little bit warmer than it should be. And they, that's why they don't like to wear them. There's comfort, you know, but we went through this with helmets, right? So eventually we'll get there and it's uh, all about safety. And it's Yanni Gord so far is the only guy for the Kraken, right? I think. As far as I know. Yeah. 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 And eventually yeah. we'll get grandfathered in. Um, what comes to mind for me, and it's obviously way more extreme with uh, these guys, but when when Matt Cook stepped on the back of Eric Carlson's ankle by his Achilles tendon and tried to make it look like he wasn't doing it on purpose, guys do stupid, you know what, in situations, competitive moments, and especially yeah. if they're kind of dirty, and you know it's it's happening quickly. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me this guy was was thinking, oh, I'll, I'll kick him or I'll do something in the moment. And obviously way beyond Matt Cook or anyone else. So we'll see what happens. But that, that's the initial reaction for me. I'm sorry. Yeah. When I see it, I'm like, this is not, and I've, pl I've played, I everybody, any athlete, if, if I was, if it was soccer or football, you don't fly that way. Right. When you make right. that degree of contact, contact that is um, in that position. Right. Anything uh, bugging you right now, John? You got anything that's uh, no. anything on the no, club? Anything on the nothing, team? Nothing, nothing bugging me. That's always good, right? No, no. no. I thought I, I'm not a guy that ever complains about officiating because it, it equals out. Both teams uh -huh. always have a reason to bitch about something, but I was not overly impressed with the officiating in the uh in the game vancouver hosting seattle i thought it was just kind of a weird a weird game that was one of the few yeah there's a little stood bit out, stood out for me yeah there's a little bit of that going on every night every game yeah i think uh i think what where we're at here is to be fair i think we have a lot of new referees yeah, and you got a lot of combinations working together for the first time, and this is a thing that happens probably every every five years, every six years when when guys retire and new ones come in, and and they're trying to find their way and they're trying to please the boss, and they're you know doing things by the book and not having a feel for the game, and the veterans working with them, and they're kind of like, hey, this is my show, kid. You know, I think I think that's what we see. Um, this is another topic because yeah. it's always Eve of mine, but I, I don't understand why they don't work together more than they do. Yeah. So oh, the I, pairings, the pairings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I would see it more or less uh, the way it used to be, and maybe still is in baseball, where they crew them, yeah. and they get to, they they're used to working with each other. I think there's a there's a harmony and a feel for games. Um, there's another train of thought that governs this. Obviously, they don't think so, but I think that would help. 
And I think it would help younger officials and it will help the older guys understand that part of their job is to help these guys along instead of just letting them stand on an island, make a call. And everybody's judged, you know, for the postseason based on their their uh, efficiency. Right. So their ratings each game, they get to the end of the year and the best of the best work the playoffs. And then it trims down as we go to the fourth round. But it doesn't it doesn't put some of these younger guys, I think, in a really good spot when they're blowing into town. And who am I working with tonight? This guy's got 15 years on me. This guy's got six years on me. You know, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. So that's my soapbox on that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a great idea. I think it's great. I think so. I think it's and great. I, I, I talked to a number of guys, officially talked to uh, uh, Gary Roberts, some players that were around for the one ref system and and yep. officials that obviously worked Bill McCreary by himself. And the feel, it, they, they, they think the game's too fast now that you can't keep up. You can't watch everything because it's just happening, this, that, and the other thing, stuff behind the play. But it's it's always been that way. The, the dirty crap was has always been there behind the play. And they're not going to go back to one. They've got to have two. But your thing would make it closer to one in that you'd have the harmony two guys thinking as one more frequently it's no different than what i do i mean in a way i mean i feel at ease when i'm working with a familiar partner i work with a lot of different people but when you you know the other two weeks ago i worked with panger darren pang for the first time in a long time we i don't think we had done a game in like three years it came out great but it's it's you got to get used to it again yeah. And so if you're officiating a game, which is more important, um, it's changing from city to city all the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I guess it makes sense. This is how they do it. But to me, it, it would be like, all right, you're, you're Wes McCauley. You're going to get this, this guy right. maybe for five weeks, Right. you know, bring him along yeah. and you're going to get rated on as a tandem. Right. How well you do as a tandem, because that's what we do yet. You know, you have two referees, and then when you get to the playoffs, you're mixing and matching with different people, and I think it confuses the game. And I think you're right. Those of us that are old enough to remember one referee, you knew what kind of game it was going to be based on the referee, and the players knew that. So if it was Wally Harris back in the day, or if it was Bruce Hood back in the day, or Bill Friday, whatever it was, the players knew how to play. Because, you know, Kerry Fraser called the game this way. You know, this is Van Helleman did it this way. You know, uh, there was something to that. Then when we got together with a two referee system because of the speed of the game, everybody seeing everything. Well, there's positional play too, high and low and who does this and who does that. To me, teamwork is important. Why does that change every game? Yeah. You know what, too, for a league that's always trying, that. to save, they're always trying to save a nickel, off the top of my hand, you'd think that it might be cheaper also to fl- you know mm-hmm. move guys around as a unit, but. Instead of coming and flying all over, who knows? Well, they ask them to live in certain cities, you know, for travel. Yeah. You could regionalize it a little bit and then move them out west, you know, but not for long stretches or not randomly, you know. You know, I'm a little ignorant to how they schedule, so I shouldn't really get too far into that. Maybe there's more to it than I than I see, but that's that that's what I see because there's a lot of head scratching going on, especially early in the season 
where a lot of these younger officials are getting opportunities to, to, to break in. And I had a good conversation with Brad Watson in Denver about this and, you know, wasn't more specifically about the two man or one man system. It was more or less about the younger referees and, and how they nurture them along and how they have to critique them and where they can go with them and where they can. And a lot of these, a lot of these guys, because they need more, they need more younger officials. It's hard to find real qualified people to do this job. Um, you know, they have to, they have to bring them along slowly. They have to be careful with how with how they do it so it's funny you bring up his name because brad watson former nhl referee now a supervisor i had a similar conversation with him in seattle a couple weeks ago because he's in the region and that's right handles the west yeah. uh, on that note johnny boy our uh, buzzer just went off because we are pushing the 29 minute mark the mike palmatier the kenny dryden and the randy latticer and of course i must note being somewhat of a old jock Cro-Magnon, notice my at, here at the hockey cabin. Look at that, John. Are you kidding me right now with the Neanderthal? That's, that's stellar. Interior yeah. decoration. I like that. To the ninth. See, yeah. kind of know what's going on. That's total commitment. I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right. Uh, I reckon we'll see you at the rink uh, more than once in the coming days. Always enjoy your outstanding efforts, John Forslund, at John Forslund on Twitter X. I'm at Simmerpuck, and you can watch us old episodes. Uh, Simmerpuck is the YouTube and all that good stuff. Johnny Kidd, have a terrific rest of the day and night tomorrow and the next day, and we'll see you soon. Have a great holiday this week, everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Good Thank you. Thank you.